Yeah. Come on, man. Maybe that's why he turned the water into wine. To show that he gets better with time. Right? All right, so Colossians chapter 2. Just going to do a quick recap of last week, and then we're going to jump right into what I feel like the Lord has put on my heart for us this morning. Uh, For those that were here last week, we talked about wholeness and um, that we are already whole in him. Okay, so I'm going to read Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and then we're going to transition into what I want to talk about today, uh, go a little deeper in wholeness. So Colossians chapter 2, this is in the Passion Translation, it says, For he is the complete fullness of deity living in human form. In our own completeness is now, somebody say now, found in him. We are completely filled with God as Christ's fullness overflows within us. He is the head of every kingdom and authority in the universe. Our own completeness is found, is now found in him. I said this last week, some of us are waiting to die to experience fullness and completeness, but if that were true, that would make death Lord and not Jesus. If we're waiting to die to enter into completeness and fullness, then death makes abundant life available, not Jesus. But Jesus says, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Say it with me. But I have come to give you abundant life, overflowing life. And that kingdom, which is the life of God, the the kingdom, the king himself is the life. He says, I am the resurrection and life. And now he lives within us, right? Paul says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Glory is the life. It's the, it's the flow of the kingdom. It's, it's, it is Jesus. It's Jesus is glory. Glory is Jesus, right? So he is the resurrection. He is the life. So in order for me to experience the fullness of abundant life, I don't need to die. I just need to come awake that I'm already alive in him. Yeah. Amen. I liked that. Maybe you didn't. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> that's hope. That's, that's hope. That's hope for us. So I want to go a little deeper today and and talk about wholeness. And, um, you know, again, last week I talked about in order for us to really buy into this and to live in awareness that we are whole in him, we need his faith. His faith living on the inside of me is his gift to us. It's Christ within us. And so, other words, it's not your faith that gets the job done. It's his faith in you. Okay? So Paul talks about that in Colossians chapter 2. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, Colossians chapter 2. He says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. In the life, Galatians chapter 2. Sorry, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Thank you, Pop. Uh, It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives his life in me. In the life that I now live, I live by faith of the Son of God. That's how we live. We live by his faith. His faith is strong. His faith gets the job done. Amen? Okay, so I began this week to kind of ask some questions, uh, not out loud, but in my heart. I said, Lord, um, if this is true, if Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10 are true, and we are complete in you, if we're actually whole in you, 
You're living in us. If that's true, then what are, what are some things that cause us not to see this? What are some things that actually war against the awareness that we are actually already whole? What are some things, and I heard this in my heart, I heard these two things. Number one, circumstances. And number two, sin. Number one, circumstances. This is what I heard in my heart. And number two is sin. Now today what I want to do is I want to, I want to define sin. But before I do, let's talk about circumstances real quick, okay? Circumstances. Um, many of us in this room, maybe everybody, at least most, well, if you're in America or if you're in the world, you're in the midst of a circumstance. It's called covid Right? It's called a global pandemic, right? So all of us have been in this circumstance. Is there anyone in this room who has not been alive in the middle of a global pandemic? No, right? So every one of us are living in the midst of a circumstance. Now, so I, I got to thinking about this word. I looked up this word circumstance. This is one of the things that hinders us from understanding, seeing, being aware that we are completely whole in him. So this word circumstance, it's actually a compound word. It's the word, it, it, you could look at it like this in your mind. Circumstance, it's a compound word. It's made up of, of circum and stance. Circumstance. Circum, we know, is where we get circle or around. Stance, we know, is, is our stance. It's what we stand on. It's what we stand for, okay? Circumstance. So when you put those words together, circumstances are pretty much, they are things going on around us that determine how we stand. They are things going on around us that can often determine our stance. I don't know about you, but I've caught myself in the midst of circumstances, maybe not the global pandemic, but just day-to-day -day life. The pressures of day-to-day -day life can often Pull me away from the awareness that he's living in me, right? It, it can often distract me from understanding that I am whole in him, right? Maybe it comes through a global pandemic. Maybe it comes through inflation. I mean, you know, what <laughs> the issues of life. Maybe it comes through the chatter of the news, the chatter of the media, those things that are going on around us can often skew our view of who he is, his faith, and what he believes to be true. And so what I hope to do today is, is I want to talk about the second thing, which is sin. Got really quiet just now, but I want to define what the Bible calls sin, which is actually the Greek word hamartia, which I want to, in a way, I want to challenge the way we see sin. Because I believe it truly hinders us from seeing who we are in Christ, okay? Now, I'm going to read some stuff to you, so if you would, go ahead and just make it up in your mind that I'm going to open my mind, okay? I'm going to read some stuff to you. I feel like I'm a better writer than I am a speaker, so I'm going to read some things to you. So just open up your mind and, and just listen with your heart, okay? The unseen thing, we've already talked about circumstances. Maybe we can spend more time on that in the future. But the unseen thing... That stands in our way 
or hinders our, our receiving and walking in manifest wholeness is sin. Not only is sin contrary to our nature, it also causes us to strive, to struggle, and sin ultimately distorts our perspective of who God is and who we are in him. But first, we need to define sin. For in order to get free and healed from sin, we must understand the root. I think so many times we focus on the symptom of sin and not the root. Therefore, we fail to be free. Let me say that again. I think so many times we focus on the symptom, the actions of sin, cussing, drinking, stealing, lying, whatever, you know, you name it. We focus on the symptom of sin, and we do not understand the root. Therefore, we fail to be free. It would be absurd to go to the doctor and, 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 and seek healing for a headache, and the doctor tell you, now, this is at the end of your appointment with the doctor, he says to you, looks to, he or she looks at you and says, now, make sure you don't have any more headaches. You go to the doctor to get, get you know, Cured for this headache. And then look at you at the end and say, now make sure you don't have any more headaches. That would be absurd, right? I know that, doc. I know I have a headache. That's why I'm here. Instead, the doctor would seek to treat the root and the cause of that headache. Though the symptom may be a helpful guide, it would be the deeper issue that the doctor would seek to heal. And so I want to talk about the root, what sin really is, and I want to define this for you. We've told a generation, let me say it like this, we've told a generation, don't cuss, don't drink, don't lie, don't steal, and we failed to deal with the root. We've told this generation the Ten Commandments, but we have failed to show them the one thing. <laughs> I like to say it this way. We've told them don't smoke, but I wonder if we've showed them how to be on fire. We've told them don't smoke, but have we shown them how to burn for the all-consuming fire? This is challenging to me. I'm just going to be real with you. This is how I grew up. I thought sin was... Lying, cussing, drinking, you know, you, you fill in the blank. And this is not because my mom and dad taught me this. This was just the culture of the church, that religious system that tells you it's a list of do's and don'ts. Because we have not identified the root issue of sin, we've only magnified the symptoms. Worse off... We've only reinforced a works mentality. I need to read that again. Because we have not identified the root issue of sin, we have magnified the symptoms. Worse off, we've only reinforced a works mentality. For many, this has in turn produced a mindset that Christianity can be boiled down to a list of do's and don'ts. For this, the culture has suffered. 
For this, Christianity has become, for many, it was for me, nothing more than just another religion. For example, this has magnified the awareness of church attendance over attendance to the secret place. I'm going to preach on that one, man. (laughs) Because we have only dealt with symptoms, what to do, not to do, we've produced a works mentality. Therefore, we have produced this idea that church attendance is more important than your attendance on Monday morning to the secret place. I could care less if you were raised in church. I want to know, are you being raised up in Christ? I could care less if you were raised in church. Well, I grew up, I went to church 50 years faithfully every Sunday. You know, they say Sunday morning is for those that want to check the box. Sunday night is for those who want to live outside of the box. Wednesday is for those who want to throw away the box. You're really spiritual if you go on Wednesday, right? I could care less if you've grown up in church. I want to, I want, I want to know, are we being raised up in Christ? Are we being raised up in him? Maturity, sons and daughters, fully convinced of what he says about us. Growing in his faith. Okay. Are you guys with me this morning? Okay, it's a little quiet, and that's, I'm fine with that. I, I know some of this is maybe new to you, but this is so freeing. This is so, I promise you, this is going to be encouraging. Okay, so, you know, a lot of times when, you know, we talk about sin, it's kind of like the forbidden word in church, right? And, and I get that. I, d- I definitely don't want to build a culture that's sin conscious. I want to build a culture where it's righteous conscious, right? But I want to deal with the root today. And I think if we'll see the root for what it is, we'll be able to identify it and then go to Jesus to ask him to fix that root, right? Like we go to the doctor. He is the great physician. He wants to fix the root. He he doesn't want anyone, obviously, acting out of that root. He doesn't want us to do anything that would harm us or others. Uh, Yes, but I think more importantly, he's going after the root in this hour. He's saying, I want, to, I want to go into the depths of who you are. I want to go into my temple, and I want to begin to turn over tables. Not because I'm mad, not because I'm mean, but because I'm good. And I want a house that is fully yielded to me. Right? So that's what he wants. He wants a house that's fully yielded to him. Sometimes there's things in us mindsets in us that can hinder us from walking in the fullness of this okay so look at this we're going to look in, and so this we're going to go a little deeper we're going to look at some greek words okay i'm not a greek theologian i don't i don't claim to be but i've i, I like blueletterbible.org so <laughs> so I've, I've gotten a lot of these off in strong's concordance and so on and so forth so let's look at sin when the bible talks about sin it's the greek verb hemartia and it actually means without a share in. Hamartia is the word for sin. It means without a share in, or the most traditional, many of you probably know this, it's, it's, it, the definition would be to miss the mark. How many heard that before? You've heard the definition of sin is to miss the mark. I grew up hearing that a lot. 
You're missing the mark. What's the mark? <laughs> right? How many's ever felt like that? You're missing it. You're missing the mark. Stop cussing, lying, cheating, stealing. I don't want to cuss and lie and cheat and steal. I just can't help it. Well, I can. Hear me out. But you see what I'm saying. It was, there had to be an inward surgery of my heart. I couldn't fix the outward stuff, right? How many know the kingdom of God is within you? The life of the believer is living from the inside out, not the outside in, right? We don't wait for things on the outside to get better in order to enjoy peace. We know that we have the Prince of Peace living on the inside of us, and we're now saying, Prince of Peace, peace, peace manifest yourself in, around me, right? So that's the life of the believer. Okay, so sin is the Greek verb, hamartia. It means without a share in, or more traditionally, to miss the mark. Another is to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor. This word hamartia is used over 150 times. And it's used in different forms such as sin, sins, or sinful. Some references, I'm going to read just a couple of verses. I won't read them all because there's over 150. We would be here all day. Matthew 1.21, do we have this one on the, did I give that to you? Thank you. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their, what? Sins, from their hamartia, okay, from, from missing the mark, okay? Another reference is in John 16, verses 8 through 9, it says, and he, when he comes, will convict, this is Holy Spirit, will convict the world concerning sin, hamartia, and righteousness and judgment, verse 9, concerning sin, hamartia, because they do not believe in me. So Holy Spirit's going to come to convict the world of righteousness, sin, and judgment. Those three things that Holy Spirit's going to come now live inside of you and me, he's going to convict us or I would say it this way, convince us of the way that he sees us. If I were to translate that verse in RIV, Robbie interpreted version, <laughs> it would be that the world, the Holy Spirit's going to come to live in you now to convince you of how loved you are by the Father. Do you know that's the Holy Spirit's job? When you read Romans 8, it is the Holy Spirit's job to convince you that you are a son. Fully loved, fully adored, fully just, he is head over heels in love with you, beloved. That is Holy Spirit's job. Let's go a little deeper. Interestingly, let me say this. Holy Spirit's job is to convince you of your identity. It's interesting that John, the one who wrote the gospel of John, his name actually means, it's, he calls himself beloved. The one who wrote John actually says more about sin than any other gospel writer. Overwhelmingly. You can go into bluelittlebible.org. Look up all the times that sin, hemartia, is mentioned, and it is, it is more, overwhelmingly more mentioned by John than it was by any other gospel writer. So what does that tell us? 
I believe that tells us if we are to understand our identity of how beloved we are, we must understand that there is an issue called hamartia, sin, trying to stand in the way of us really fully receiving who we are in him. I feel like a conductor, Jeff. <laughs> you know, I feel... Let's go a little deeper. Y'all ready? It says hamartia. It's a compound word from ha, which is without. Meros, which is form. It can translate to without form or without your allotted portion. Francis Dutrois, the writer of the Mirror Study Bible, says this. It points hamartia, sin, points to a disoriented, distorted, bankrupt identity. It points to a disoriented, distorted, bankrupt identity. Why are we seeing all these crazy acts in the world? I think it's because the issue of sin is because mankind does not know the mind of the Lord over them. And because there's that root issue, we don't know we're fully loved. And what happens when you don't know you're fully loved? You have to go out and get the approval and show the one in whom you're trying to get the approval from why they should love you. This is all an outplay of love. Your perspective of how much he loves you is key, beloved. And this is an issue. If it, it, I'm telling you, this is the root issue that he's trying to deal with in this hour is, is how much do you really know you're loved? Hamartia. Okay, so let's go a little deeper. Meros, the second part of hamartia, the second compound word is the root of morphe. How many ever heard of metamorphosis? What does that word mean? Transformation, right? Morphe actually means to morph into something, to be formed into something, right? Metamorphosis, this word of hamartia, actually is the, the root, or one of the words is meros, it is the root of morph or where we get metamorphe. Hamartia is to be without form. Metamorphe is to be with form. You guys see that? Hamartia is to be without form. Metamorphe is to be with form. Okay, so, so Paul reveals the eternal truth that transformation, metamorphe, the reorienting of our mind of what we think is to be true begins when we behold the one. Logically, it would be safe to say that sin, if metamorphe is accomplished by beholding the beauty of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled face behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed, metamorphe, we're being we're finding out our form as we behold him from the same spirit. So when we look at him, we become transformed. When we don't look at him, we buy into hamartia. 
I hope today that I can turn, help, help encourage you to turn your eyes on him and be transformed into how he really sees who you are. As beloved, and those beloved turning the world upside down. What was the thing that Jesus had to hear before he entered into ministry and began to turn cities upside down? What did he have to hear? What did he have to settle in his soul? He had to settle this. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You get a daughter or a son fully convinced that they are the beloved of the father, you'll turn a city upside down. Because nobody fights like a lover. Nobody fights like one who's in love. When I saw this beautiful blonde, Burnett at the time, 21, 22 years ago, sitting on the front, on the, one of, not front row, but she was on back. This is back row Baptist. We're trying to get her saved. She's sitting towards the back. Just kidding. She was born saved. This girl is just beautiful. The beauty captured me, captivated me. At that time, I was driving a beautiful 99 Ford Mustang GT. Ryan, do you remember that car? 98. It was 99. It was a year-old car. I literally laid down my life for this car. It literally, seriously, it was going to take all my paycheck to make the payment, Justin, and pay for the insurance. Because insurance on a 16-year-old idiot is not cheap. $300 a month insurance. And I think it's $350 payment, $650 is all Robbie Atwood had washing cars for ANA Auto Sales. But I was, that car was beautiful. It caught my eye. I gave my life for what I believed was so beautiful until I saw this woman. Let me, let me remind you that before, when I had this car, before I met her, my plan was to go to college, be an architect. I think, Justin, my, my plan was to get married when I'm 30. My parents had gotten married when they were 16. Ron was 18 when he got married. I said, I'm not doing that. I got to be free. I'm going to say I had this white picket fence lifestyle picked out, Kelsey, and it was beautiful. I think I actually had it written down, you know, write down the vision, make it clear, you know. This is my vision. I'm not getting married. I'm independent. I'm going to be an architect. And I had all this beautiful plan until Easter Sunday, 1999, I look over and I saw the most captivating young lady I'd ever seen in my life. You think I'm joking. I'm serious. I've told this story. It embarrasses Misty every time. Y'all have probably heard this story 10 times. I fell in love with this girl quickly. And I, I remember having the conversation with mom. Mom, how do you know you love someone? I'd never fallen in love like this. I said, how do you know? She says, well, when you can't stop thinking about her, that's when you know you're probably in love. Right? Infatuation. And that's, that was, I was so fascinated with this, this beautiful brunette. And within a few weeks, because I was so captivated with her, the Mustang GT no longer had my eye. She did. Right? I'd, saw, I'd, see, I'd beheld something even more beautiful than that Mustang GT. And because of it, within a few weeks, Josh, this is a true story. I sold that Mustang, and I, I find myself driving the worst-looking Toyota Corolla you've ever seen in your life. 
I'm serious. Ginger was going, no, I drive a Toyota. I do too. I drive a Toyota Tacoma now. But then I had no money because if I'm going to buy her a ring, I'm going to ask this girl to marry. I'm not letting her get away. I'm going to marry this girl. If you like it, then you put a ring on it. I put a ring on it, man. <laughs> and I couldn't afford a Mustang GT and a ring at the same time. I put more value in this than I do a car. I sold it. I'm driving the ugliest five-speed. You remember? I don't know if you remember, Ryan. It's turd brown. It was a 1980-something. It was an old trading that dad felt bad for me. He's like, just take the car. I feel, bless your heart. It's the worst car. I'm, we, I, we literally, when we first got married, I'm driving this turd brown Corolla into the Three's Company apartment. Wood paneling. When I walked in, I felt like I was on Three's Company. How many ever seen that show before? It didn't matter. It didn't matter because the, the object of my affection was on her. Right? The things we'll do when we fall in love, when we find something beautiful. Oh, man. Robbie, why does the house of prayer give so much attention to one thing? Because I'm telling you, when you see him, sin starts not having an effect on you because you've seen something more beautiful. When you see him, beloved, there was a preacher, a pastor that prayed for eight hours a day. Ray Hagen told me this story. I didn't plan on saying this, but I've got to say. Ray Hagen told me this story. He said there was a pastor that I think he knew. Prayed eight hours a day. People would come up to, even other fellow ministers would come up to this pastor and say, how do you pray eight hours a day? Don't you have other things to do, Right? Don't you have to balance the checkbook and make payroll and oversee teams and build a church and blah, blah? And he stops them. He says, listen, you're asking me why I pray eight hours a day? Ray, Ray tells this story so well. He looks at him. He says, have you seen him? You wonder why I pray eight hours a day? Have you seen him? Oh. That does something to me, man. It's foolishness in the eyes of the world to pray eight hours a day, but it's not when you've seen him. <laughs> I think Father is wanting to fascinate a generation with beauty. I think fascination will fix a thousand things. I caught myself in a, 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 a funk lately. I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna be transparent with you. Can I be transparent with you this morning? I found myself in a funk lately and pull my tight jeans down. <laughs> Um, seeking the Lord like, man, what's going on, Lord? Let me get back to this. And uh, I get an invitation to go speak somewhere. And I accept the invitation. I'm in the funk, but I'm going to do it because I've been asked. It was an honor to get asked to do this specific event. So I said, yes. 
And I'm thinking, man, I don't really want to go. I don't feel like it right now. I don't feel like preaching. I don't even feel like I'm whole myself. <laughs> and um, so I get invited day. It was on a Monday morning, Sunday afternoon. I'm telling Misty, I so dread this. I don't want to go. I don't feel like I'm qualified to give a word to this group of people. Such an honor, but I don't feel qualified. I don't, I just, I dreaded it. She prays for me. She's like, do it. You're fine. You're okay. Go for it. And I, I, I get there. And well, the day before, two days before, sorry, the Lord had given me a word about fascination, about worship. They'd, they'd asked me to speak on worship. So I, I, I spoke on Psalm 27, 4, being fascinated with beauty to these young people. I didn't want to go. I speak this word. After it's over, I'm walking out to my truck. Forgive me if I cry. This is so real. And I feel the weight of the word that I had just spoken come over me. Josh, you ever had that happen? Something you said that I thought I was giving to other people actually hits you. We've heard it this way. The finger that, you know, there's a finger pointing at you. There's one pointing back at me, right? We, you get that idea. I'm walking out to my truck. This word of fascination, David, it washes over me. Now, I'm still in just a little bit of a funk but this thing hits me. I'm weeping. I get in my truck, and the Lord says this to me. He says, Robbie, many times you won't listen to anybody else but yourself. That's why I had you speak at this event. He said, many times you won't listen to anyone else but yourself. That's why I had you speak. And that's what I was experiencing. This thing of fascination started hitting me. And fascination started overwhelming the funk. <laughs> Wasn't a good funk. It was a bad funk. It was a cloudiness. I'm telling you, Abba wants to fascinate us with his beauty. Okay, let's get back to this. Are you guys with me? Okay. I, I won't finish this today. Maybe we can finish it later. Okay. Hamartia for sin. The term for sin in the Bible, as it, it was first used by Aristotle in his writing called his po, or called Poetics. It was written 330 B.C., okay? So over 300 years before, almost 400 years before we have the word show up in, in the scriptures, hemartia, Aristotle uses this word. Aristotle is a, he's a Greek philosophy, uh, philosoph I don't even know how you Philosopher, thank you. He writes this, uh, this article called Poetics. And he, he writes hamartia. He uses hamartia. It describes, this is before we have the word sin, which is hamartia. It's, it's defined like this, 300 years before. Hamartia is error that leads to a chain of actions which culminate in a reversal of events from felicity to disaster. Aristotle introduced the term casually in describing the tragic hero as a man of noble rank and nature whose misfortune, listen to this, whose mis misfortune, can't even talk, is not brought about by wicked behavior, what's this, but by some error of judgment. Aristotle. Now, I, I, I don't want to elevate Aristotle because there's a lot of stuff he was jacked up in. 
That's not my goal. My, the point is, is that this word hamartia was understood when Paul used this word, when Peter used this word, and the, when John wrote the gospel and wrote, and wrote hamartia, there was already an idea because they used the Greek language that hamartia was an error of judgment. Sin is the error of judgment. Sin is not getting drunk, cussing, lying, stealing. Those are an outplay of an error of judgment. Okay? Sin can be defined as an error in judgment where we forget and fail to understand who he is and who we are. This is the fallen mindset. This is why we need his faith. This is why we need to know what he knows. Sin isn't the act of cussing, drinking, cheating on our taxes, or even our spouse. Those are merely acts birthed out of our attempt, attempt to cope with the futility of misplaced identity, or what I would call misidentification. Those things are an outplay of us forgetting who we are. Those things are an outplay of forgetting who we are. A foundational truth, I keep reading here what I wrote. A foundational truth is that mankind acts out of their mindset. Y'all know the verse, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, right? The mind plays its way out through our soul. Our soul then plays it out through its body, right? Y'all get that? Simple truth. This explains why Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I can imagine at a deeper level, Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know who they are. Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. At a deeper level, I believe what is happening is Jesus is saying, For God, Father, forgive them. They know not who they are. Why are they cussing me? Why are they ridiculing me, persecuting me? Because they don't know who they are. But Jesus came to re-identify the human race that this is who you are. In that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, I'm in you, and, and we're in you. I'm in my Father, my Father's in me, and I'm in you. He's re-identifying the human race. <laughs> Y'all get this? He's coming to break the power of sin. We find this to be true in Deuteronomy 32, 18, where Moses writes about the human condition of forgetting who made, who crafted us, and who danced with us. Look at this. Of the rock that begot thee, thou art, this is, this is my dad's favorite, King James, of the rock that begot thee, I like how this says it. That's why I put this up here. Of the rock that begot thee, thou art mindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. I looked up that word formed. It's the word hul. It's H-U-L. It actually means to dance with. <laughs> it means to twirl or to spin. You forgot who danced with you. 
You forgot who, you were, who was your lover. You forgot who was your father. You forgot who the one, the one that formed you. You thought you were in Adam. You thought Adam identified you. Nuh-uh, Abba identified you. You think that Adam, you're born this way? No, you were born another way. It's way before Adam. It's called Abba. He's called Abba. You were in him. He was in you. This is why you were created, was to share and enjoy the fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit. Woo! What the early church would call the perichoresis, the circle dance of Father, Son, and Spirit, the mutual indwelling with one another to the point that there's no loss of self of one another. There's just the enjoyment of one another. The Father enjoys the Son. The Son enjoys the Father. The Spirit enjoys the Father. They're all in this dance of life. And they said, Adam, come out of that. Come into this, man. This is what you were created for, beloved. You forgot who you were, but I'm re-identifying you. I am the one seated with my Father, I'm re-identifying you. In that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father. My Father's in me. We're in you. We're bringing all of our stuff. We're going to re-identify you. You have been in a hamartia mindset, forgetting who you are. But I'm coming to remind you of how beloved, how loved, how you're called to be and live and move and have your being in him. Francis Dutrois says the root of sin is to believe a lie about yourself. He also says, Jesus didn't, didn't say to the lady, go and sin less. <laughs> he said to her, go and sin no more. Jesus knew something about the life of our design that we had lost sight of. What he revealed, he also redeemed. Sin consciousness is what empowers religion. It, also, it always amazes me how Simon could not receive the gift of the miraculous abundant catch that Jesus blessed him with. He felt more comfortable with the fact that he caught nothing the previous night because he said, I am a sinful man. He accepted his fate as his due because his mind was educated under the law of blessings and cursings. When he witnessed the word and the miracle of the catch, Peter slotted back into his familiar mode. Depart from me, Jesus. I am a sinful man. I am not worthy. Man. How many times, like Peter, when he comes to us, we resist that love. We resist him washing our feet because we think we're something other than what he calls us. Because of hamartia. What you think about yourself, the lie that you've believed about yourself. Jesus came in discernment of the Father. He knew who his Father was, rightly discerning his motives, his love, his care, and so on. This discernment, Jesus knowing the Father, who he is, led to an unwavering trust and fascination in Abba. This is why he says in John 8, 16, For I discern the truth I am not alone in my judgments, for my Father and I have the same understanding in all things. This makes sense when we see hamartia, the mind, the mindset that you, the forgetfulness that you believe you're something other than what Jesus and the Father say about you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 makes so much more sense. He who, know, who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
He who knew no sin, who refused to believe anything other than what Abba said about him, became sin. He entered into the illusion of what we believe to be true, and he made us the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Jesus came to untangle the inward duplicity. That struggle, that hamartia, the mind that we had made up about God and who he was and who we are. He came to untangle the inward duplicity, the wickedness. Do you know that word wickedness is where we get wicker? It's the twistedness of the lies. He came to break the wickedness that laid waste on the human race. The most common understanding of sin is to miss the mark. And if sin is to miss the mark, I have to ask, what mark are the scriptures referring to? I believe the mark is the awareness of knowing we are loved with the same love that the Father loves the Son. When we know this truth, the truth that makes us free, when we know his reality, what he thinks about us, I believe we come free. We become free, fully alive of who we were created to be. Simply said, this is hitting the mark. (laughs) This is hitting the mark. When you receive what he says about you and you're fully convinced, this is hitting the mark. When you don't believe those things, when you don't receive those things, that's missing the mark. That's hamartia. Are y'all hearing me this morning? This is why Jesus told the woman caught in the act of adultery to go and sin no more. First of all, Christ could say and do these things for the woman because he knew no sin. John 8, 14 says, For I absolutely know who I am, where I've come from, and where I'm going. But you Pharisees have no idea about what I'm saying. Religion is waging war against identity, beloved. When when Jesus Ministered to the adulterous woman, he stripped the situation of any condemnation. Y'all know the story in John 8, right? The woman who'd been caught in the act of adultery, it says that Jesus is teaching. And while he's teaching, the Pharisees come and they cast this woman before Jesus, saying she's, we've caught this woman in the act of adultery. He writes in the, in, the, in the dirt. The Pharisees' minds are blown. They run off. And then it's just him and the woman there. He releases the woman from any condemnation. He says, where are your accusers now? In other words, there's no condemnation. There's no condemnation here. There's only freedom. He released the woman to be free. In saying, go and sin no more, he wasn't saying, now make sure you don't commit adultery. Make sure you don't drink, smoke cuss or lie I'm sure he didn't want her doing those things that harmed her or harmed others but the deeper issue is that he had just re-identified her as one made in his image free from condemnation and was now giving her the necessary grace the necessary permission to freely live in the truth of who she was I can hear him saying now go and don't come into an agreement with who they say you are Remember who I say you are. (laughs) Go and sin no more. 
Beloved, I'm, I'm here to challenge you. If there's anything in your life, any circumstances, anything around you that's affecting your stance, that is shaking you from believing that you are fully beloved by the Father, get rid of it. If there is anything interrupting the internal frequency that deep to deep, then get rid of it. We are this woman in John 8, and this is a prophetic picture of us, the bride, who at times are caught up in the misidentification. Therefore, we are forfeiting our faithfulness to the bridegroom. But I hear him saying, we can stand on this. Amanda, if you would come up. I want to spend just a couple minutes in prayer. I want to pray over us. But I hear him saying, go and sin no more. Here's what I hear him saying over us this morning. Go and sin no more. Refuse to identify with anything other than you are loved with the same love in which I love the Son, Jesus. Place yourself in the middle of my all-consuming fire and watch how I re-identify you as my beloved in whom I am well pleased. Take on my mind, take on my judgment, take on my discernment, and let yourself be free and fully alive in the way that I see you. As he is, so are you in this world. Let's pray. Father.